There we go. <laughs> um, this morning, um, we'll complete this short series and um, we've been doing the past few weeks on local church matters. And this morning, I want to think about the grace of giving, that is giving financially to the local church. And we're going to take that this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. So if you look that up, we'll read those two chapters through um, together. Second Corinthians 8 and 9. I'm sure this is what you're all hoping for at the end of January, a good sermon on giving. Um, but we've all got our £600, yeah? Hope you've got it. We got ours. It's great. We've put loads of gas in. I've never been as keen to put the heat on. Um, but I do hope this morning we'll be encouraged and built up, even filled with gratitude as we consider this grace of Giving. We're going to think about how Paul encouraged um, the Corinthians to give financially. And I believe as we do that, um, we'll learn some key principles as we strive to prioritize our giving to the local church. That is God's means um, of transforming his people and of furthering um, his mission, reaching the lost both at home and, and abroad. But let's, let's look at Second Corinthians um, chapter 8. We'll read these two chapters through together. And then think about the passage. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, 
who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honourable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your behalf. And as for your brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. 
Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to give towards what many have called the Jerusalem Project. Paul actually gave attention and focus to this project over a period of about five years, encouraging, organizing and collecting money from Gentile churches for the Lord's people in Jerusalem who really needed the funds. Paul refers to this project in his first letter to the Corinthians. There he says in chapter 16, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, you also are to do. And so we see there he also encouraged the churches in Galatia to also give to this project. Furthermore, Paul mentions it in his letter to the Romans. Now, there are various um, reasons that the believers in Jerusalem may have found themselves in this position. We know from Acts there was a famine. We know they were experiencing persecution. And perhaps on top of that, just city living, taxation, um, no government programs to help the poor, and so forth. But these believers, they were suffering financially, And they were weighing heavy upon Paul. And so he's doing all he can to encourage other believers to dig deep and to help out their brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are are one unit, and that's why we read it together. And it is here that Paul takes time to encourage the Corinthians to give generously to this project. And the first heading I want to take from these two chapters this morning is gracious giving. And we're thinking about that mainly from chapter 8 verses 1 to 9. The whole letter of 2 Corinthians begins and ends with the grace of God. Chapters 8 and 9 begin and end with the grace of of God. And so everything we are thinking about within these chapters is an outworking of the grace of God. Do you notice the emphasis on grace on, in those first verses? Verse 1 We want you to know, brother, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Verse 6, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace, or in this act of giving. In verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul wants the Corinthians to view their financial giving in light of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus, the eternal Son of God, living in all splendor and majesty and glory, in all riches, emptied himself by taking on humanity, by dying on the cross and taking the place of sinful man. And he did this for our sake. That through his poverty we might become rich. That we who are poor, who are sinful, who are deserving of the cross might be raised to the riches of heaven. And when we know this grace, when we receive this grace of God and Christ, that grace works in us, even making us gracious as God has been gracious to us. And one way that grace is worked out in our lives is in our financial giving. So as Paul begins to encourage the Corinthians, he uses the Macedonians as an example of God's grace working. Notice in verse 1, Paul does not begin with the generosity of the Macedonian churches, but he begins with the grace that God has given to them. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. And from verses 2 to 4, we see the effects of the grace of God working out in these believers. The believers in the churches at Macedonia, they were experiencing a severe test of affliction. And yet, the grace of God brought an abundance of joy. They were experiencing extreme Poverty, and yet the grace of God overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They had limitations because of their poverty, and yet by the grace of God they gave beyond their means. They were under no obligation to give. And yet, by the grace of God, they gave of their own accords, even begging for the favour or the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, this was unexpected. Verse 5, Paul says, this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. From those experiencing severe affliction and extreme poverty, there wasn't much expected from them. But they had given themselves to the Lord. His transforming grace was working in their lives, doing what no man expected. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, look at the power of God's grace in these Macedonians. And he says, Corinthians, you know the same grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to send Titus to you, verse 6, to complete this act of grace among you. 
Giving financially is a work of grace in our lives. And it is an opportunity to experience God's transforming grace in ways that we never imagined. So gracious giving. Secondly, this morning, I want to think about generous giving. It's very obvious these, this example that Paul uses, the Macedonians, were generous and perhaps you're thinking, well, I, I want to know God's grace working out in my finances. But what does this really mean in practice? How much should I give to the church here? And the Corinthians were asking these very questions. First Corinthians 16, and Paul addresses this matter. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints... And the phrase here shows that Paul is replying to a question that has been asked. Now, Paul doesn't say how much the Corinthians should be giving, but he does give them principles to follow for generous giving. So let's think about a few of these together. And the first is very simple. Um, Give something. Give something. Make your giving more than good intentions. A while back, I found a a Christmas card in in our car. Um, It was addressed to our friends in Nigeria um, who moved home from Nigeria six years ago. And I get it with the best intentions in the world. We sometimes don't see things through. The Corinthians had good intentions. They had specifically asked, how should we go about this? Verse 10, here in chapter 8, we see that a year ago they had committed to giving to the church in Jerusalem. They had a good desire to do that. Now Paul doesn't chastise them for what they haven't yet done. He's trusting their good intentions and he's sending Titus, encouraging them to see through this gift of giving. But if we want our giving to be more than good intentions, then we've got to plan. Now Paul's response to that question I was saying about in 1 Corinthians 16, this is how Paul responds to them. He says, on the first day of every week, Um, Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. God's people are to think carefully how much they will give and they are to give regularly. To Paul saying, don't be waiting until I come and you're caught unawares. So it's like if Paul comes and these Corinthians are thinking, oh goodness, I said I would give to that and I never did it and now Paul's here and I'll just have to wait and see what I have here and what I can give him. Paul's instructions, don't wait till that, don't give kind of off the cuff. He says, plan it and give regularly. Then God's people are to give according to their means. Paul says, verse 12, um, for if the readiness is there, um, the gift will be acceptable 
according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And Paul goes on to explain, he says, there's no point the Corinthian believers giving to the Jerusalem believers and then putting themselves in the same position and then probably needing money back. And he says, give generously according to your means. So for us here, for example, I can't say to you, um, currently we have this much deficit, so if we divide that all by our members, each member needs to give this much more, and that will clear our deficit. Now that might sound very simple and very logical way to do it, but it may not be fair according to your means. I don't know your means. I may be asking too much of you, I may be asking too little of you. Each person has to plan and give according to their means. Then we should give willingly. Look over to chapter 9, verse 5. Paul says their gift should be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction. That is, giving, expecting something in return. These Corinthian believers, they would have been brought up to look out for themselves. If you give, you give to get something in return. It is how their relationship previously would have worked with their various gods. And so Paul is educating them in gospel giving. He says, give willingly, not wanting anything in return. In chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. One of my um, favourite things about my birthday is our children giving me gifts. Just because they get so into it, they get so excited about it, And they get so excited about giving me a gift and seeing me open it. But of course they didn't actually buy it for me (laughs) because it was my money that bought the gift. Now I'm not thinking that when they give it to me. I'm not not that cold. But they did take money from me and in a sense returned it to me. And you know our giving is just like that. We have nothing to give to the Lord. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. When we give, we are very simply giving back what he has already given to us. But our gifts are acceptable to the Lord when we give willingly and gladly according to our means. So give gladly and generously according to your means. And remember, it's a response to grace. One writer says, We know we've lost sight of grace when giving becomes a duty and not a delight. You see, Paul's principles are grace principles. Notice there's no mention of the tithe. Now, if Paul was going to mention it, it would surely be here. In fact, the tithe is never mentioned in the New Testament in relation to how much we should give. 
Paul doesn't command these people to give a certain amount to meet a certain target for these other believers. As you know, maybe in ways that would have been much easier. And maybe today that would be much easier for us. Just to think, well, I know I need to give the 10% and and that's it. And if I give the 10%, I know I've done that and it, it keeps me right. Again, I, I can give you facts and figures of our church finances. I can lay down the law in a sense on it. I can give you targets to meet. I can give you deficits we need to clear. I can tell you how much each person needs to give to meet those targets to clear those deficits. But you know, if I did that, I would fear that all I would be doing is setting you up to give under compulsion. And we do not give in response to commands or law but we give in response to the grace of the Lord Jesus. And as he has given all of himself willingly and freely, so we give all we can willingly and freely. Third point this morning, and it's really very practical, we need to guard our giving. And and Paul does spend quite a bit of time explaining this in verses 16 to 24 of chapter 8. If we are going to give to this local church, then we have a responsibility to manage your giving very carefully. Paul urged the Corinthians to give towards the Jerusalem project, but he intentionally removed himself from collecting and transporting the money. He sent Titus, who has genuine care for the Corinthians, verse 16, and Paul refers to him as very earnest in verse 17. And with Titus, Paul is sending another brother, verse 18, who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Not only that, verse 19 but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us. Paul also sends another brother, verse 22, um, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. In other words, Paul is sending men who are trustworthy, who have a good reputation among many churches, and who have been approved by the churches for this task. Sending several men was going to cost more, and so we could say, was that really worth it? And yes, it was worth it, and it was essential. Why was this? Look at verse 20. Paul says, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us, For we aim at what is honourable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. Paul takes this action to protect his own integrity, to protect the integrity of the church, and so the church's message, and ultimately to protect the glory of Christ. Verse 24, he says, our brothers are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. 
You see, the truth is, people only need to get a whimper of something to do with money not being handled correctly. And everything we strive to do as a church here will be marred. So it is absolutely essential that we go to great lengths to handle money well and carefully in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. And so we must have several trusted people to count, to lodge, to distribute money. We must have absolute transparency and accountability within our church here. So we're going to need to guard our giving. Final point this morning is are the gains of giving. And we see this mainly chapter nine, verses six to fifteen. Verse six was probably a well known saying and whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And the idea here is a farmer going to sow seed. If he doesn't sow a lot of seed, he won't get much of a harvest. If he sows generously, he will have a rich harvest. It's very obvious what's being said. And Paul is saying, if we give sparsely, there's not much to be gained. But if we give generously, well, there is much to be gained. So what is to be gained from giving financially? We gain contentment. Verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency or contentment in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And I say again, we don't have anything that hasn't been given to us. And so whatever we are given by God, we are content in that. And God gives us so that we may abound in every good work. In other words, God gives us so that we can give to others. And so the more we give away, the more we are nurturing contentment with our own circumstances, trusting God's provision. Paul said to Timothy, he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, if we brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. He goes on, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. If giving brings contentment, then surely holding on and desiring to acquire more and more will bring discontentment. Giving brings contentment. Giving brings righteousness. Verse 9 quoting Psalm 112. Um, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, again, it's that picture of harvest. Those who supply seeds, those who give, will increase the harvest of righteousness. 
We've already said giving is a work of grace in our lives. And as we give, we are able to increase in righteousness. We can hold on to an increase in wealth that may or may not last our lifetime. Or we can give away generously and gain righteousness that will endure eternally. Giving brings righteousness. Giving brings thanksgiving. Verse 11, um, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. As we ourselves here have struggled financially, and we have been so thankful for the generous giving of others um, within our association. It actually makes me quite emotional to think about it, and um, just God's kindness in that. And as, as we have received, we have directed thanksgiving to God. We don't, we don't want that to stop there. We want to give generously here, not just so we can make our ends meet and say, well, thank you, we don't need that help anymore. We want to say, we are so thankful, we don't need that help anymore. And and please take all this extra and distribute it to your brothers and sisters who need it more. And as they receive that, they might give thanksgiving to God. We want to give more to Baptist missions and other missions that as missionaries are supported and encouraged in their work that they're returning thanks to God. We want to meet needs of brothers and sisters poverty stricken and persecuted at home and around our world that as they receive gifts they too might bring thanksgiving to God. And you see this wonderful spiral that the more we give the more thanksgiving will be directed to God. And Paul recognises that every gain from giving, verse 14, um, is because of the surpassing grace of God. And there he brings us right back to the grace of God again. And then he exclaims, verse 15, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That is the gift of his own son, and the Lord Jesus, who gave all of himself for us on the cross. And when we stand beside the cross, we can never hold back what we are able to give. Let's pray together. Loving God, we are so thankful um, for the grace of the Lord Jesus that you have made known to us. We are thankful um, that through his poverty, taking on humanity and sin, we have become rich 
have entered into your presence and know all the riches of Christ. And so God, we ask that your grace would work among us, that your grace would transform us from within, and that would be evident um, in our lives, in our faith and speech and knowledge, in earnestness and our love, and also in this act of giving. We pray, God, that we would be willing givers, that we would be glad to give, and that we would give generously. And God, we pray that we would always be very wise in how we um, manage and distribute money that your people bring here. Father, we pray that our attitudes and our actions regarding money would be a witness for Christ um, in this community and the people we find ourselves with. God, we are so thankful to you for how you have provided for us here. And we are thankful for your people who have given um, sacrificially and generously. We're thankful for your people here. We're thankful for others among our association who have been so kind to us. And so God, we, we just long that we can, in a sense, return that um, someday. Father, will you make us content with what we have? And as we give, may we be more content and trusting in your provision. Will you grow us in righteousness day by day in this grace? And Father, will you make us thankful? And as we give, may many thanksgivings be offered, not to us, but to you and to bring glory to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.